Good morning, everyone. Uh, This morning's reading is from Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, and it's verses 18 to verse 26 of chapter 2. So that is on page 670 of the Blue Church Bible. So that's page 670. So starting at verse 18. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. 
But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, uh, Martin. Do keep your Bibles open at that passage. Well done for making it to the second instalment of this uh, uh, challenging series in this challenging book. Uh, after last time being confronted with the painful reality of life, life as, as, as mist and fog or vapour, uh, I'm really relieved that a few of you have come back uh, for some more. Uh, and just for those who weren't around last time, we've been looking and listening uh, to the words of the teacher. Uh, we don't know his name, but I think there's a good chance that he was King Solomon, a, a man of extraordinary power and wisdom. Um, and I hope this morning, as we listen to uh, this wise man, this teacher, uh, as he speaks about life, uh, we'll discover that what he says is just as relevant today as it was 3,000 years ago uh, when he wrote Let's ask God uh, for his wisdom now as we come to look at these words together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this challenging part of your word to us. Help us to discover again this morning that it is indeed your wisdom. And help us to live in its light. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, just begin by asking you a question. Easy, a very easy question to ask, but perhaps harder to answer. I'll be truly happy or content when? I wonder how you would finish that. Where is happiness to be found? Uh, what can offer lasting satisfaction and fulfilment? So last week we were thinking about life as uh, being a light mist. Um, something that sort of comes and goes, as Andrew was reminding us of this morning, uh, something that can appear very solid and substantial, but close up, it's very transient, it keeps eluding us, uh, it evades us as we try and grasp hold of it, or even make sense of it sometimes. And it leads us that kind of question, doesn't it? Well, what's the point of it all? Uh, where can we find happiness and fulfilment and purpose? What is that ingredient that makes life, life rather than just existence. Well, this morning I think we'll find great value in listening to this person who not only applied his mind uh, to this big question, but directed all his considerable resources uh, to searching for meaning and happiness. And, and thankfully he's published his findings so even if we don't have the same resources that he had at his disposal, we can benefit uh, from his wisdom, from his research and his findings. Uh, but if his conclusions do make for very uncomfortable reading, even this morning, uh, I hope we'll see that he's not some grumpy old man uh, who wants to consign everything in life to room 101. Uh, indeed, I hope we'll discover that his message is not one of utter despair. They might sound like that, mightn't it, as we heard it read, but it does have glimpses of light and hope. Well, this guy's research, uh, this quest for happiness, takes him down a number of different uh, paths. Uh, and the first seems, I think, quite promising, uh, learning and wisdom. Uh, I devoted myself to study, to explore, uh, by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. 
So I guess he opens, uh, he, he enrolls at the Open University, uh, he fills his uh, shelves with books, and his spare moments are spent in the library. He pulls out all the stops, burning the midnight oil perhaps, uh, in his search for wisdom and enlightenment. Uh, and what does he get for his pains? Well, maybe a string of letters after his name, but verse 15, chapter 1, he tops his class, maybe wins all the prizes, but his life actually remains empty of fulfilment. Now, that pursuit of education, perhaps of, of knowledge, seems so promising. But when it come to, came, comes to answering the big questions of life, verse 17, it was more a, just a case of chasing after the wind, uh, as fruitful as trying to catch mist in a fishing net. And notice, as you did last week, uh, that frustration is made all the worse by the fact that the teacher is someone who knows there is a God. That life, therefore, must hold some meaning. There must be answers. And yet he feels, doesn't he, that God has sort of set things up so that those answers sometimes seem to elude us. We're, we're wired to want, uh, to need meaning. And yet it always seems just tantalizingly just beyond our reach. Uh, verse 15, things that should have been straightforward, God in some way is twisted. And as for wisdom giving happiness, well, look at the teacher's verdict, verse 18, for with much wisdom comes sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. One translator says, the more you understand, the more it aches. It's true, I remember uh, taking my children to uh, the famous American War Cemetery, just looking over Omaha Beach when they were very small. And I remember them running around, having a grand old time. Uh, the last time we were there, there was that sense of significance. Those stones meant something to them. Uh, there was no laughter. There was just poignant heaviness, I think, and sadness. Uh, the more you understand, the more uh, you ache. School teacher reputedly wrote the end of year report of a, a child. Uh, if ignorant is, ign ignorance is bliss, I'm convinced your son is going to have a very happy life indeed. <laughs> Don't misunderstand the teacher. He's not against knowledge or learning. It's good to know, isn't it? If you're at school, if you're learning, I hope we're learning, all of us. Uh, now look at chapter 2, verse 13. Just look over the page or the other side of the page. It's clear there's nothing to be said for ignorance. Wisdom is far better than folly. But you can have all the GCSEs and A-levels and degrees and qualifications and still be no closer to the meaning of life, to true happiness and contentment. It's true, isn't it? Well, the teacher's no, in no mood to give up his quest. And in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 2, he tries a, a different path. He looks at pleasure. Maybe I've overcomplicated things, he says, uh, he decides. He he sets out to experience perhaps the more simple uh, and immediate pleasures of life. And he doesn't hold back. The list of pleasurable diversions he pursues is pretty impressive. So he tries off first uh, laughter. It's a good place to start, doesn't it? When you hear people laughing all the time, surely they've got to know something about the secret of happiness. And so rather than watching the news at 10, you switch over to, have I got news for you? Uh, you slip a, co a copy of Private Eye in the FT. And the closest you think about the horrors of war is to watch an episode of Blackadder goes forth. So we've noticed something, that the, the great comedians often live the most miserable of lives. A brilliant sense of humour often used to mask a sad heart. 
One of my most memorable memories of school, which was a good thing, but anyway, uh, was the day that Kenneth Williams came to visit and speak to us. And for over an hour, he held us utterly spellbound, story after story, regaling us. Uh, I, I, we laughed until it hurt. No denying that we were in the presence of a brilliant and very funny man. But just months later, Williams tragically took his own life. And in a diary entry written, I think, on the day he visited my school, he wrote this. After 60, life's utter futility becomes cruelly obvious. The whole con is exposed. You see that there isn't going to be any happy ending, contentment or fulfilment, just a waiting for death as the final soul and only relief. Laughter. It is a fantastic gift, isn't it? It's great to laugh. But as one commentator Riley put it, laughter is to our lives what shock absorbers are to cars. All it can do is make the, the ride a little more comfortable as we pass over the potholes of life's pain and, and, irony, and, and ironies. Well, next, uh, the teacher turns to the bottle, uh, not to drink himself into a coma. Uh, no, he says, I, I kept my mind engaged. I never lost sight of my quest. And you can be sure it wasn't the sort of cheap, watered-down stuff. This was wine from the finest of vineyards. Or maybe after a couple of glasses, he did feel more cheerful. Uh, perhaps that ache was momentarily uh, dulled by the drink. But at best, it proved, uh, as many discovered, just temporary relief. Apparently, this year, we're going to spend something in the region of £72 million every day on booze. That's about £26 billion a year. And it might do a good job at times at dulling the ache, but it never deals with the source of the pain, does it? As the song reminds us, we can have a full glass and an empty heart. Well, the teacher's undeterred. He hasn't exhausted all the options yet. And in verse 4, chapter 2, he says about accumulating and achieving as much as he possibly can. He begins, doesn't he, verses 4 to 6, with property, homes, palaces, uh, rural retreats, his portfolio uh, uh, would regularly feature in the latest edition of Homes and Gardens. No doubt you'd have caught him on grand designs, discussing his latest project with Kenneth, Kevin MacLeod. And it wasn't just buildings, it was vineyards, gardens, parks, wonderful places in which to escape the hurly-burly of life, perhaps, and chill. Maybe our ambitions are a little bit more modest, just perhaps a place to call home, somewhere with considerate neighbours, maybe better schools, an extra bedroom or two, just a parking space or a flat garden, Chesham, somewhere we can call home home and feel at rest. Teachers and stop there. Verse 7, uh, there's an army of slaves, isn't there, to, or, or employees em, employed to cater for every need, a vast number of livestock, Verse 8, uh, the personal entertainment system, not a subscription to Spotify, but a symphony orchestra and chorus, his own, uh, and his beck and call. Then there was the gold. I amass, says the teacher, silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Apparently Solomon's income from taxes alone was in the region of 23 tonnes of gold each year. 
And the teacher says, without any hint of exaggeration, in terms of the stuff that I owned, I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. Some have argued that Solomon could probably be laid claim to being the wealthiest man in history. That's how much stuff he had. Well, we all know, don't we, that we can have lots of stuff and be lonely, but not this man. Verse 8, he has uh, his own Hiram. According to the Bible, Solomon managed to acquire no less than 700 wives and 300 uh, concubines, which he rather euphemistically calls the delights of a man's heart. This man wasn't short for company. Apparently his weekly uh, food bill uh, covered 35,000 people. Words of verse 10 are incredible words, aren't they? I desired, my, I desired myself nothing my eyes desired. So I delighted myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So the uh, reporter from Hello, Hello Magazine drops in and says, what's it like? Having everything a person could possibly want. Verse 11, it's like mist. As satisfying and fulfilling as chasing the wind. Now, don't get me wrong, he's not saying that uh, pleasure or having stuff is bad per se. He's not suggesting that we should all don hair shirts, and deny ourselves every good thing that life offers. No, he's simply saying that pleasure is, at the end, just a vapour. It isn't substantial, you can't hang on to it. It doesn't last. It's like trying to cut water in your hands, isn't it? It's here and then it's gone. However much we accumulate in life, uh, the point is it never fills that hole, does it? Or take away that ache. Bernard Levin, the uh, famous Times columnist, said these words. I've used them before, but they're great words. He says, like, people are, this society is full of people who have all the material comforts they desire. That's not so, so true now. But together with non-material blessings, there's a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact there's a hole inside them. However much food and drink they pour into it, however many cars and TVs they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. It aches. I wonder if we can relate to these words. I wonder if these words describe us in some way. I can't deny that they, uh, they resonate with me. Perhaps you're on one of the paths that the teacher took. Knowledge, pleasure, acquiring things, achievements. Well, listen to a man who explored those paths uh, more thoroughly than any of us could possibly do. And he says, his verdict is, they, these are paths that will never bring true satisfaction, lasting happiness. In fact, it, teaches, it, it all leads to a dead end, doesn't it? Verses 12 to 23. It doesn't matter whether you have lots or little. The message of this passage is pretty stark, isn't it? It ends up in the same place. Ends up in the same place. Dead end. That's what we call, isn't it, a death, a great leveller. So yes, this wise man, you may see more clearly, verse 14, it's better to have light than live in darkness. Darkness of a fool. But the truth is, the same fate overtakes them both. I, I can work hard, I can enjoy the fruits uh, of our labour. But I can't keep those fruits forever, can I? All, all the things I've accumulated will have to be left to somebody else. And who knows whether they'll be wise or whether they'll be foolish. It, it is, is the words of 
King Solomon. His son turned out to be an idiot. Most of his father's inheritance lost in the first months of being king after Solomon because of his own arrogance and stupidity. Well, no wonder the, the teacher says, well, what's the point? What's the gain from all this outlay and effort? See, verse 23 seems to say pain and grief, exhaustion, worry at night. That's what, the, that's what it achieves. I did warn you that the teacher's search, his quest, makes for uncomfortable reading, doesn't it? His findings are unnerving in its honesty. But they are findings I think we can't ignore, a verdict that's resonated with many down through the ages, if we're prepared to face the reality of life. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian novelist, once asked, is there any meaning to my life that will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death that awaits me? Uh, Woody Allen more recently says this, the fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and death. It renders everyone's accomplishments meaningless. Right, that's it then. Have a great week. It's not a message of, of, of huge encouragement, perhaps, to get us leaping out of our beds tomorrow morning when the alarm head goes off. But I think even in this frustrating book, there is a little glimmer of hope. Uh, the teacher does indeed describe life under the sun as frustrating, chasing after the wind. But thankfully, I don't think it's the full picture. And I think in the most tantalizing of ways, uh, he offers an additional perspective. Not a different one, because that is, that is reality. He's talked about reality, but an additional perspective. Let me read verses 24 and 25, chapter 2. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? These are very striking verses. It reminds us again, doesn't it, that the teacher is no cynical atheist or God denier. He is a believer. Someone who does acknowledge the reality of God's purposes uh, in the pain and frustration in life as well as in the joys. Indeed, he recognises that God, as we saw last week, has designed it so that life uh, is an experience of both joy and frustration. But I think there are just a couple of clues that offer us a perspective or a perspective on life that does open up joy and contentment and satisfaction that seems to be so elusive. And I think the key is here, gain versus gift. As we discovered, the, uh, the teacher chases wisdom and knowledge, and as he runs after pleasures and fixates on acquisition and achievement and chasing stuff, again and again, he keeps asking, where's the gain? Where's the gain? It's nothing more than a chasing of the wind. But here in verses 20, 24, we find the teacher speaking about satisfaction, verse 25, of enjoyment as we humbly receive from the hand of God. To be honest, I've struggled with these verses this week um, to try and catch their meaning. I think this book is designed to be frustrating as we work through it um, uh, as we experience life in the present. But it seems up to me that whenever we ask the question, uh, where's the gain? Where do I get from it? 
the teacher says, expect only grief and pain. Uh, uh, verse 23, be prepared for sleepless nights of anxiety and worry. But when we realize that everything, food, drink, satisfaction, and joy too, are the undeserved gifts from that open hand of a generous God, then that relentless grasping that marks our lives is slowly replaced by uh, a new sense of gratitude. Uh, when we're obsessed with the gain question, uh, especially when the relentless gathering and storing focuses on the stuff of this life, we will discover it is the root to a stressed out existence, uh, the emptiness of acquisition that never satisfies. Life that is grasping for the mist, chasing the wind. But, but when we focus on God as the great giver, our receiving of his gifts becomes something more. Our enjoyment of the gifts becomes an enjoyment of God himself. A delight in him that we never exhaust, that never leaves us empty. A pursuit of him that never leaves us disappointed. And notice, the one who pleases God, who delights in him more than he delights in God's gifts, God promises to pour out those gifts, wisdom, happiness, knowledge. Sure, not in the abundance that we will ultimately receive them in in the life to come, but as hors d'oeuvres, tasters of things to enjoy even more greatly in the future. Gain versus gift. Gain that's primarily uh, self-focused and driven, gift that fixes our sights on God, the great giver. And very practically, I think these words challenge us if we're Christians very deeply this morning. Uh, we can enjoy something as our gain or enjoy something as a gift. And one alienates us from God and the other brings us joy in God. And superficially, they look very similar uh, uh, but they're very different. They feel very different. Perhaps one practical way we can move away from that gain mentality towards that gift mindset is to look for every opportunity this week to say thank you to God. Thank you for the unexpected and undeserved gifts that come our way. Uh, thank you that opens our eyes to and keeps our eyes firmly on God the great giver. So let me encourage you this week, start the day with thankfulness for the day that lies before you. Even give thanks in advance for the gifts that God has promised to provide you with. And as you go through the day, uh, stop and say thank you as you experience that enjoyment of his provision. And if we forget that, perhaps in the busyness of a day, then end the day bringing to mind every gift, every blessing, every taste and glimpse of joy that we have received, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. Of course, that's not some sort of technique to protect us from pain and frustration, but it will bring and it will magnify our joy and create a growing joy and longing for, for Jesus. That won't disappoint us especially when it fuels our ultimate hope of finally being with him and being more fully like him. See, the Bible tells us again and again in the words of Augustine that we've been made for God, that we have been made for him, designed for relationship with him, 
the one who made us and loves us. And we will be restless, or we will continue to ache unless we find our rest and our joy and happiness and delight, a delight ultimately in him. That's ultimately why God has put frustration in this world, frustration built into it, not only to act as a judgment for turning our backs on God, but also as a deterrent that's designed to stop us finding our ultimate rest and satisfaction in creation, but in the creator. As I finish, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of uh, a woman that Jesus meets uh, by a well. Do you remember how they got talking and Jesus makes her an offer of a gift? The gift of living water that will satisfy her, that will never stop um, flowing within her so that she's never thirsty again. Water that will refresh her for eternity. And that woman, she, well, she wants it, doesn't she? She wants it because she knows her life is one of aching thirst, frustrating and disappointed relationships that have never fulfilled or satisfied. Well, in that conversation, of course, Jesus gracious, graciously reveals himself to her. He shows her his true identity and draws her into that relationship that she's been aching for for years and years. And as she receives that gift, she's so excited, uh, so full of what she's discovered, she can't contain it. So that water that Jesus said would well up in her is already starting to, to pour out uh, in her and bring her joy, joy to that weary heart and hungry heart and blessings even to those around her. She discovered that relationship uh, with Jesus is that relationship for which we are all made. And it's intoxicating. But it's real, it's satisfying, and it's lasting. So let me end by just ur urging you, urging myself uh, to come even this morning to, to the giver. Knowing that we don't deserve anything from him. But knowing for certain that we need him more than anything else in the world. Knowing that we're thirsty, dry, and he's the, he's the fountain. Admitting that we're empty, and only he can fill us. Let's make receiving and enjoying uh, Jesus the great goal of our day, of our week, and our lives. I will be truly happy or content when? When I have Jesus. Let's pray. Him writer says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. What's the gain? We ask ourselves, please may we, even this morning, rediscover that gift not just the gifts that you give us which are wonderful and we want to enjoy them but they are expressions of something greater the giver himself and we pray lord even today that we might be marked by that thankfulness as we receive those things that are joyful and delightful and as they draw our hearts ultimately to yourself and to that quest and that pursuit of you that 
never is dissatisfying, never disappoints. Please help us, even as we talk and think and reflect, perhaps over tea and coffee shortly, Lord, may we be encouraged to help one another keep our eyes fixed on Jesus now and for this week ahead and beyond. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.